0: The identity of Jesus. Certainly a critical factor in the gospel. Matthew wants us to know who Jesus is. But there is a difference between who Jesus is and who people or even we say. He is, And therefore the proclamation of the gospel, the, the telling, the word sharing who Jesus is becomes critically important so that we might believe and share. Jesus in this text journeys to what we believe is the furthest place from Jerusalem that he travels in his life, lifetime a place called Caesarea Philippi. On the map above, you see Jerusalem at the bottom. You see the Dead Sea. You may or may not be able to make out the River Jordan as it goes up to the Sea of Galilee. And At the very top, well above the Sea of Galilee, is Caesarea Philippi. Been there. Seen images like this one. In the... The walls in the in the uh, the side of the hill there are now uh, remnants of temples to various religions, various gods. This was a place where a variety of gods were worshipped, including the one known as Pan. This is the half deer, half animal. God. And it's believed that, that the uh, headwaters of the River Jordan were a place where, where the, the, the path would go down to hell and, and Pan was guarding that path to Hades. This is where Jesus comes with his disciples. This is where Jesus asks the question, who do people say that I am, in this place of plurality of beliefs. Well, who do people in our world say that Jesus is? We, too, live in a place of pluralities of beliefs, it's maybe good for us to reflect on this question that Jesus asked his disciples. As we are out and about, as we are hanging out with the, the people of this a larger community of the Silicon Valley, who do people say Jesus is? Perhaps that's a question we might even want to ask if it's not offered. We might especially ask that of people who are of different faith persuasions than ourselves. What do you think? What have you heard? What do you say when I ask this question? Who do you think Jesus is? It might be interesting to hear some answers, and it might open up an opportunity and even bring the question, what about you? What do you say? I found this on the internet. Writer Carolyn Chen says in Market Watch, Silicon Valley is famously non-religious, showing one of the lowest rates of religious affiliation in the United States. And then she says this, but in my study of work and spirituality in the Silicon Valley, I have found that tech workers do worship at work. The suggestion is that we in the Silicon Valley believe that the answers to life's greatest needs will be found in our technological advancement. That as, as we do our jobs better here in the Silicon Valley, the needs of the world will be met. We will be blessed. We, our lives and the lives of the world will be improved. To whom... Do we turn? In what do we put our trust? And I don't want to suggest to any of you who have invested your lives in technological innovation, or maybe still are, that what you do may not, in fact, bring improvement to patterns of life, may not be a blessing to others. I just simply want to suggest it isn't the ultimate blessing, it isn't addressing the ultimate need of God's creation but rather that is God himself but it may in fact play a part in who people see Jesus to be not necessarily the Savior of the world not necessarily the Lord whom we're called to follow and serve we live in a very pluralistic society I I, you know I made this bigger hoping that maybe you could read it Um, maybe you cannot but it's interesting this is a list it's all the way back from 2010 and it suggests that Santa Clara County's 10 largest faith groups are listed here one of the interesting elements for those of you who can't see it maybe in the front rows uh, where is Lutheran on this list yeah, not, not in the top ten. It is interesting, though, that um, 32.18% of the top ten are made up by various Christian denominations. But it also suggests that we're surrounded by Hindus, Mormons, Buddhists, Muslims, and there's probably many others. And again, this is simply a suggestion that we understand that there are many among us who have no stated religious affiliation at all, and there is a plurality of thought. And maybe it would be valuable to ask, who do you say that Jesus is? And maybe it would be very valuable to know how you will answer the question, Who do you say that Jesus is as we bear witness to the gospel? It's interesting that they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's also interesting to know that in our text today, you know, there's a forerunner to the Messiah coming. There's a forerunner that's announced that's coming before the Son of Man and and some people are suggesting that Jesus is only the forerunner, that he's preparing the way for the actual Messiah to come. I've heard many people of other religions say Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus teaches love of Others and love of God, and that's a good thing. And as they make those statements, uh, they believe that they're honoring our beliefs. They, from from their faith perspective, as they say to us that Jesus is a good teacher, it doesn't mean they want to learn from him. It just means that 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 you know you're you're okay. But I also want to suggest that sometimes we say Jesus is a good teacher. Sometimes our faith finds expression in learning about God from Jesus. And I want to suggest to you that there's more to it than learning about. That Jesus comes as the anointed one. He comes as the one to whom our lives are due all allegiance. And that's more than simply learning about. Again, this is what Malachi says. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Did you hear those words? Those are really interesting words. Great. And dreadful. How many of you consider dreadful to be great? Now, I have heard people say great dread to suggest even worse dreadfulness. But what I want to suggest is that this does communicate hope and despair, it does communicate true greatness and also dreadfulness because the judgment of God comes. And a part of what we recognize in Jesus is that the Savior of the world has come so that that dreadful day can be made great as we experience our Savior coming as Lord and King and Judge and not simply the one before whom we are guilty and our lives fall short. Joe and I uh, just got back uh, from spending last week in retreat. Um, Joe's retreat was in San Antonio. I love San Antonio, but I don't know that I would consider it to be an oasis. Um, And and I got back from Carefree, Arizona, a place just north of Phoenix. and, And while the desert has its own beauty, I don't know that I would call it an oasis either. But it's also believed that as Jesus journeys up to Caesarea Philippi, he's not just standing before this plurality of religions as he walks by with his disciples and asks these questions. But he's going to a place where they might abide together. Where in fact the disciples are being discipled. They're they're being uh, put in a place where the truth of who Jesus is in fact is revealed to them in this quiet place of beauty. And I want to suggest that when Jesus asks the question, but who do you say that I am? He launches one of the most significant and important parts of the Gospel of Matthew. This incredible confession of Peter, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Anointed One. You are, in fact, the the One who fulfills the very promise of God to redeem and save his people, and indeed to redeem and save the world. He saw and he proclaimed this incredible statement of faith that indeed can be our own. You are the one sent by God. It's a beautiful moment. And and most of the commentaries I read put this center point down on On Peter and it becomes this beautiful thing and and Jesus announces and you are Peter the rock upon whom I will build my church and there's debate is he going to build the church on Peter or is he going to build the church on the confession of faith that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God and if you keep reading there becomes a problem. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Isn't that great? And then Jesus begins to proclaim who this Messiah is. This Messiah is the one who came to die. The authority, the greatness, the magnificence of who Jesus is sent into the world to be a sacrifice so that we could see the depth and magnitude of God's love for us. And when Jesus begins to reveal, even to Peter, who's just proclaimed who he is, what the true path of the Messiah will be, Peter decides, knowing that he's a follower of the Messiah, that his job is to defend Jesus. And Jesus, who has called him the rock, now says you are a stumbling block. When he says get thee behind me, Satan, instead of the rock being the foundation upon the church will be built, this defensiveness now becomes a scandal scandal upon which people will trip and fall. And as I hate to admit this, as I was driving here this morning and my sermon was all done, it was all locked up and put away and nicely tucked in, I, I sensed that God was saying to me, maybe, Jim, you should talk to the church about our tendency to have a desire to defend Jesus to the masses. To be prepared when they tell you who they think Jesus is that you will stand guard. That you will protect Jesus' identity by arguing and challenging and, and being willing to fight for your God. Instead of remembering that who. Jesus is as the Messiah was one who came to die. One who came to demonstrate the love of God through sacrifice so that we who are sinners while we are yet sinners would know his love. That instead of defending him in our own minds or in our conversations we will simply proclaim the goodness of who he is. The small catechism says in the second article, in order that we might be his own, live under him in his kingdom, and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Who do you say that I am? You, Jesus, are the one who gave his life. So that I could be forgiven. You, Jesus, are the one who gave his life so that I could be called a child of God. You are Jesus, whom God sent to the world because he loves the people of the world. You are Jesus, my Savior and Lord who do you say that Jesus is the one you recognize as the only one who could do for you what you could not do for yourself forgive you love you and establish your identity brothers and sisters in Christ you are the sons and daughters of the living God, declared in baptism, made true through the promise of God and the sacrifice of Jesus for you. Thanks be to God. Amen.